we need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. On Buffalo What's Next, we talk about health equity in Erie County. And with us, uh, we have Lisa Shamara, the uh, Deputy Erie County Executive, and also with us, Kelly Wolford, who is uh, the uh, Director of the Office of Health Equity here in Erie County. Thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's uh, get, get into this. Kelly, we've had you on before to talk a little bit about the, the evolution of this office. Of course, uh, something that was an initiative here in Erie County that kind of... You know, I guess not stuck out, but, uh, you know, it was, it was an initiative that addressed some things that had emerged, especially, I think, during the, the, um, the pandemic. I guess from your perspective right now, a little bit of a checkup. How are things going in the office? Things are going well. Um, we are able to focus a little more on next steps. I think the last time we spoke, I was still hiring people. Yes, you were. Getting we office have, furniture, yes, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, <laughs> from pencils to personnel, <laughs> yeah. right? And so we have a full staff. Um, we have been able to produce our health equity report, and um, our health and wellness survey has gone out. We're in the um, analyzing phase to be able to let Erie County know what Erie County has said are their health concerns and where Erie County residents would like us to work on um, ensuring that everyone has the the same access, same ability to be healthy. And it's interesting with Lisa here, now in the role as a deputy county executive, but before that, a legislator who was involved in uh, the health and human services uh, portion or committee of uh, of the Erie County Legislature, but it was a a bit of a lift just to get this office. It's not it's not something you can just snap your fingers and make this happen. No, and I and I think that there was an understanding of the need. Um, I would like to give credit to Chair April Baskin because mm -hmm. she really brought the discussion to the forefront, and we had many discussions in Health and Human Service Committee. And when the local law was established in 2021, um, I was proud to be able um, to be part of that local law. And our county executive, when he signed it into local law, I remember it was during the pandemic, and we were standing in a small office with our masks on. Hmm. But it was a proud moment and an impactful moment for our community. Mm -hmm. uh, let's get into the, just back into some of the definitions or that we get into the nomenclature of this because I think it's always important to kind of catch people up as they're as they're joining us on these on these programs. But you know, we talk about health disparities and also social determinants of health. Mm -hmm. Go into a little bit of an explanation of what that means and how it kind of informs how you move forward in your office. Sure. So health disparities are avoidable uh, poor health outcomes. So these are things that don't have to happen. Right, so we're not talking about genetics. We're not talking about um, even health behaviors. 
And that is because of the social determinants of health. So the social determinants of health, um, there's a, a group of determinants of health, and a part of that is health behaviors. A part of that is like access to um, health care. And then the rest of that is the, the social determinants of health. So what um, pieces of a person make them healthy? That would be inclusive of everything else in life. So housing, education, transportation, um, access to uh, healthy foods, um, safety and security, built environment, so sidewalks and things like that. Uh, and it is something uh, that impacts everyone. Right? And so... Um, oftentimes when people talk about poor health, it's always around health behaviors. Well, if people ate better, they would be better. If people exercised more, they would be healthier. Well, it's difficult to eat better when either, one, you don't make enough money to, to buy healthy foods. Uh, two, there's no place to get healthy foods within your access range. That means you don't have a car, how do you get to the grocery store? You do have a car, but it's shared between a couple of adults in the home because everyone's working. How do you then get to the store? Um, even health behaviors like smoking have social determinants of health connected to them. So smoking is very much on the surface, a personal right. behavioral thing, right? But when we look at um, high levels of stress, when we consider poverty, when we consider things that people don't have a say in, and that impact of those things on their lives, smoking is, is I'm surprised that's all you're doing, right? And so we have to look past the actual health behavior, even when we're only talking about health behaviors. So for example, in Erie County, um, African-Americans are 300% more likely to be hospitalized for uh, diabetes. Okay. Not more likely to become diabetic, but 300% more likely to be hospitalized. That's avoidable. You don't have to be hospitalized because of diabetes. People are walking around managing diabetes just fine. And so it's not the... Um, it's not even oftentimes the, the disease or illness itself. It's the ramifications of that disease. Again, people are walking around managing diabetes just fine. It's more than just the desire to be healthy that causes that 300% uh, jump when compared to their counterparts. You kind of uh, jumped uh, with an answer to my to my question. Is going to throw this <laughs> both out to you because obviously the diabetes issue is something that, that stood out to you and you just offered it. And I was going to ask both of you, when you look at, and a big part of this is the data is still kind of coming in. Mm -hmm. You don't have all the information. You've got census information. You've got other things from information. There's a lot more to, to come. But how about for you, Lisa, in terms of like the, maybe one of the issues that stands out to you or one of the things that you have discovered as you've tackled this issue over the years and now with this office available for Erie County, what do you see? What stands out for you? Well, one of the things that I was very impressed with when I became a legislator was the Live Well Erie initiative that was um, created. Um, um, actually, it was an idea that our county executive had. And it is um, uh, an, in, an initiative that um, kind of embraces the concept that no one is left behind in Erie County. And we have three working groups um, and goals within each working group. 
We have the children's working group, the working families working group, and our older adults working group. And we have partnered with community members in identifying key strategies to to accomplish the goals of each of these groups. And one of the goals in our children's group is that children will receive comprehensive health. And as a former educator, you can understand why this is so incredibly important to me. And one of the things that we have realized um, is that our, our children are struggling socially and emotionally. And um, we have identified community strategies in partnership with um, the Office of Health Equity um, and working collaboratively with Kelly. And what we have found is some strategies that will address these social emotional issues. And one of the strategies um, is we are coming out, we're in the final stages of an app that parents can utilize. And it is called Erie Path and it's providing accessible tools for health. And it's a tool that parents can can find um, questions that they have, you know, my son or daughter is sleeping a lot, you know, what, what could be causing that? Should I be concerned? And then community resources where they can reach out and, and get some, some help for, for their children. The other partnership that we feel very proud about is the collaboration that we have with our school districts. And we have an initiative right now called SMART, and it's supporting mental health by advocating for resources together. And it's school districts across Erie County, community partners, and of course Erie County um, partnering together to make sure we're understanding the problems that our students are facing and finding resources together and getting them into the hands of our schools and getting them into the hands of our parents. And, and finally, one of the things that um, Kelly's office has done an outstanding job with is our first aid mental health training. And I'll let, I will let her talk more about that. But it is so critical that people have a deep understanding of what mental health struggles what does it look like? What does it sound like? And how can we support it? How can we be supportive each and every day? And um, and Kelly's office is um, she has individuals in her office that are trained, and they provide the training in our community. So we're able to get it out into our community and provide this training to anybody who wants it. And I'm thinking about our. Um, our coaches, right. um, our community centers, people who are who are engaged with our, our youth and how they can provide that support each and every day and have that knowledge of, of what good mental health looks like and what are the struggles and what do they look like. You know, Kelly, again, you're, you're gathering a lot of data. I know you're doing surveys and things along those lines, but that, this issue that Lisa was just talking about, about mental health, and especially when I think about mental health issues for teenagers, mm -hmm. that it's something we continue to hear anecdotally about, mm -hmm. emerging issues, a lot of it coming out of the uh, pandemic and such. But you know, what are you finding, and I guess how aware would you say the community is right now about the reality of, of that? I mean, it sounds, again, like in a, a problem that's blowing up a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how much your data back, backs that up just yet. But tell me, you know, go in depth a little bit more about that for us, please. Sure. So 
Um, you know, one of the issues with data is that it's usually four or five years old right. by the time <laughs> we're able to really see it and, and do something with it and make changes. And then you have to wait four or five years for the data related to what you're working on to be available. So there's a huge uh, delay between when, you know, these large census and um, breaths, which I don't, it's BR. FSS, I don't right. know what it stands for, but it is a, a, a survey. Uh, before that data comes available to, to us end users, you know, government folks and community people to be able to use. And so the reason for our survey was to be able to find out what's happening. We're still in the pandemic, but post uh, lockdown, post um, social distancing, right. post yeah, kids all are back in things, school. Right? Right, yeah. So what's happening now? What is life like now? What are finances like now? Um, and we were able to collect uh, real human survey results <laughs> okay. uh, for about 3,100 Erie County residents. Okay. That's a massive number. Absolutely. Where um, did you go to get the, the survey results? Where did, I mean, everywhere. Did you, everywhere. We, we blanketed Erie County. Okay. So one of the things that was necessary for me was to amplify the voices of people who typically are not heard. It's not that they don't have a voice, but that voice needs to be amplified. And so my staff went into communities across Erie County. Um, one of the things with you, you out from a macro level, you know, we hear terms like East Side or West Side, North right. Buffalo, South Buffalo, but there are communities within those communities. And so I wanted to be able to amplify the voices of all Erie County residents, um, including our rural population. They are so often left out of the conversation, but they have health disparities, too. And we have to understand that um, we, we can't leave anyone behind. Um, one of the things, again, that we were intentional in doing was going to where the people are, not necessarily where the programs are or the employees are, but where do the people go? So we went to parks. We went to community centers. We went to food pantries. We went where everyday people go because we wanted to know what they think um, a lot of people get paid you know to work nine to five to figure out what a community member thinks that wasn't good enough for us we needed to know what the community wants because community-based organizations have a lens right they have their mission they have their vision they have their job to do and so they interpret what's happening in the lives of their clients and customers through that lens what do people actually see happening in their lives? And so we talk to people about not just, um, you know, how much money do you make a year and how much are your bills? It's not that we didn't care about that, but we had to take a step back and our epidemiologist led this discussion. What do we really want to know? Okay. So what did you really want to know? We really want to know how do you feel about your finances? Do okay. you feel financially secure? Okay. What does that look like to you? Right. So it doesn't right. matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how much money okay. you make. Okay, all right. How do you feel about your finances? Because eggs are like no longer on the shelves because they're too expensive. Right. So it doesn't matter if you make six figures or if you are in a position where you receive EBT assistance. You still can't afford eggs, right? And so we again, can't leave people out of the conversation, which often happens when we're talking about these health disparities, health outcomes, and programs. Um, one of the things that stands out in the, the data that we have you know, looked at is um, if you consider the Asian population um, across the world, 
Asian people make up 60% of our population. They make up a large percentage of people here in the U.S. But when it comes to health disparities, so those preventable outcomes, um, people that identify as Asian are at the top and at the bottom. Uh, I, I saw this. This is really interesting. Yes. Yeah. Right. So this one group of people. So you're talking about people from uh, India, Bangladesh, uh, uh, China, Japan, Burma, uh, Taiwan, mm-hmm. Burma. Right. All of these folks that speak different languages have different cultures, different religions. They're grouped into one group, and they come here for different reasons. Some folks immigrate here and come degreed and are. Uh, here to to work in industry other folks are refugees and they're coming here because their home is not safe for many reasons and so their lives are vastly different but we group them all immigrants and refugees in one population no group is a monolith and so we took time to be able to disaggregate that information so in our survey we asked people where they're from Um, The same thing with our Hispanic community members. So uh, if you look at national data, when you see Hispanic, that's typically, um, if you look at the demographics, our Hispanic population in the U.S. is primarily Mexican. And uh, depending upon where in the U.S. you are, you're going to have different demographics. In Erie County, Buffalo, our um, Hispanic population is primarily Puerto Rican. They're U.S. citizens. Right. Right. They have a different life than someone who is immigrating or uh, coming here as a Hispanic person with refugee status. So we disaggregated Hispanic so that we can, again, amplify the voices of the people. Um, How can we help the legislators uh, make better decisions? How can we help community based organizations make better decisions? Our county executive to give them the real picture of what's happening and it doesn't happen in um, the the surveys outside of this one our guest uh, this morning on buffalo what's next we have uh, uh kelly wolford you just heard her right there she's the director of office of health equity here in uh, erie county and also the deputy uh, erie county executive lisa shamara with us this morning on buffalo what's next lisa as i was listening to kelly talk i did occur to me and i see if we can step back to your days as a legislator, because you, your district is an, was an interesting district, if I'm not mistaken. You had the Tonawandas, suburb with its own type of uh, image. Absolutely. And then you also had, though, that, that northwest section of Buffalo as well, Riverside, things along those lines. Mm-hmm. A lot of differences in, in there as well. I mean, can you have a, an appreciation for what Kelly is talking about there and maybe some of the things that you saw within your district? Well, I I have a deep appreciation, and and that really is Erie County. I mean, we Mm -hmm. are diverse. And um, what Kelly said is is so critical. We need to have a really good understanding of our diversity. We need to have a good understanding of our needs, and we need to find real solutions. And I think that, you know, that data collection piece can never be underestimated. Right. Because we think that, okay, well— We'll we'll do we'll we'll have a survey. We'll get the data, and then we'll just you know find some solutions. But um, I think Kelly's point is the disaggregation of data takes time and and takes really good experts. Her epidemiologists are trained to do this kind of work, and. In education, we always said data drives every decision. And I really think that that's how county government should work also, that we need to take the time not only to collect the data. And again, you know, 
Kelly's office has done such an outstanding job of making sure we are collecting the data across Erie County. And we're taking time to go into parts of our county where people may not go onto a computer and answer a survey, Mm -hmm. but maybe they'll take time and talk to somebody who's at a community event who has that um, iPad who's going to ask the, those critical questions. And and the other thing is, is what I found, because I was at many community events where um, the Office of Health Equity was represented and, and talking to people and gathering their thoughts is the quantitative piece, of course, has been critical, but that qualitative piece and taking the time to talk to people um, builds that trust in knowing that their thoughts count. They matter. What they're thinking matters. And knowing that that these will help us find some solutions to real problems we're having in Erie County. I'll switch now from your, your legislative element to your now more yes. administrative element. And you're not the county executive, the deputy county executive. But if, if you're looking at it from an administrative level, what do you want to know? I mean, we're talking about gathering all this data, but what do you think are going to be those key elements that are going to trigger, like you said, to get the resources, to get whatever is needed in these different areas? What are going to be those 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 key insights that are going to lead that that, that those decisions? Well, well, those again, the various needs. I mean, what are those health needs? And and again, we we I keep talking about social and emotional because I think those are the most critical needs. And I think those are tied into our opioid addiction problems. Mm-hmm. And and I guess that just taking that time, I remember when um, the Office of Health Equity was created. And it was so important as a legislator for me to understand what that report was going to gather, what information it was going to have, and then the presentation of the report. So as a legislator, I understood what my community was, was needing and, and even what were their potential thoughts on, on solutions. One of the things that um, the Office of Health Equity has done is they've created a newsletter. And this newsletter is just amazing. And I believe it just so happens that every time the newsletter comes out, um, it's addressing a need that we're hearing. So um, storm preparedness. Hmm. Kelly's team actually had a newsletter before the storms. <laughs> mental health, the, the, the newsletter that focused on mental health. It was during the time when there were kind of mental health issues coming up in our community. So again, that information that that they're gathering is already driving decisions, which are on a, on a fairly small level, but that newsletter is critical because, and, and Kelly knows more information than I do about how many individuals are receiving it and how many different languages it's printed in. But that newsletter for me, um, as a legislator, I remember thinking, this is exactly what my community needs. This is These are the resources they need. This is the information they need, the contacts they need. And, and to address certain needs that, that perhaps they're experiencing. Well, then I'll put it back to you then, Kelly. So this newsletter, I mean, is this something that's being made available in communities? How, how and, and as Lisa mentioned, different languages? I mean, how, yeah. I mean. 
That sounds like a, a bit of a lift there. It's a, it's a huge undertaking. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it seems simple. Oh, it's a newsletter. But uh, we we needed to make it upstream, which which means we are focusing on, again, the, the, the um, systems and policies and things that are creating the environment for people to need programs downstream. And so how do you do that in a way that's helping folks? Um, if you uh, kind of loop in mental health with that, you know, how are we able to, we can't just blink and have more therapists, more counselors, more psychiatrists, more psychologists. It's going to take years to be able to grow professionals in that field. However, we can train everyday people how to recognize issues, how to, how to talk about mental health, how to provide support, how to provide help, and how to direct people that need to see someone into the system. So the newsletter is um, written in, um, I call it lowest denominator language, right? Like the, the easiest way to say something sure. because we want to be able to reach everyone. And everyone has a different culture, even if English is their first language. Right. I could say something, and you're like, I don't, I don't know what that means, Cal. <laughs> right? And then you could say something, a term you grew up with, and I'm like, well, so what does that mean exactly? Right? So to take out those phrases, to take out um, idioms, our, our Western New York, you know, soda and pop, you know, you know, sure. kind of discussion, to use that as an example, um, we would say carbonated drink. So instead of saying soda or instead of saying pop, we would say carbonated drink because carbonated drink is translatable. Okay. Soda, pop, those are just words. What do they mean in another language? And so we have to, we write and then go back and rewrite so that we're taking ourselves, we're taking Western New York, we're taking Buffalo, we're taking East Side, we're taking West Side out of the language. Um, And so it's uh, available in English, um, Spanish, Arabic, Burmese, Bengali, Swahili. Yes. Wow. Six. And so where's uh, you're putting it in so community locations? Wherever people want them, we send them. So okay. we have a distribution now of about 7,200 uh, copies that are distributed each uh, release. And they go to community centers, schools, um, housing developments, uh, churches. I'm like going through the Excel spreadsheet sure. in my head. Sure. Uh, Food pantries. Right. But you're most certainly, you're getting it to where We're getting you think it to where the people are. are. And so people can um, go to the website, erie.gov slash health equity, and sign up to receive either one copy if, you know, you're a, a home, or if you want 50 or 100 delivered to you when they come out, we can do that as well. I, I want to jump back to something that, that Lisa touched upon. Mm-hmm. Uh, she brought up uh, a topic. That, of course, has been a, a difficult topic, and that's a, a drug overdose uh, here and everywhere, obviously, but in New York County and, mm-hmm. and Western New York, we want to focus on it specifically. We most certainly have done uh, some recent programs on that as well, and talking to the people who more or less on the front line that all of a sudden, it's not, not only not improving, it's actually blowing up right now. Mm-hmm. What about from some of the things that you're seeing, that some of these surveys and such coming in, what are you hearing? What are you sensing? about that issue right now? So if you think about some of the risk factors and and life situations, right? Not having access to resources, um, not having a job that is able to, you know, uh, provide for your family, um, the rental uh, 
moratorium is released? Are we going to have to find some place to move? I know I personally uh, had to move. I couldn't afford to live someplace that wasn't dilapidated. So if me, a county employee with a great job, great benefits, was unable to find something that, you know, didn't have peeling paint or didn't take my entire paycheck, couldn't find anything, then what? the system, something's not working well, right. right? And so when we consider all of those factors, those are like upstream things, things that are not a, a Band-Aid approach. Uh, stress levels are high. People don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. How do you respond to a pandemic that we've never seen before? We don't know if I get it, will I live or die? Right? Will my children live or die? Will my, my parents or grandparents? We're talking about life or death type of scenarios. And so how do we cope? So we have to consider just the, the reality of coping mechanisms and what we're exposed to and what we have access to. A lot of that is, and so if you look at the opioid um, pandemic, that is a upstream systemic issue. The everyday person didn't have anything to do with that crisis. Those were policies, those were rules, those were regulations far beyond the average person that said, we should just prescribe pain medication. We will, you know, incentivize doctors to be able to provide pain medication to people. And they created people that now have substance use issues, no fault of their own, right? And so when we look at the opioid pandemic, we can then lay that on top of other um, substance use issues. Um, and uh, how do we then respond? One of the upstream system ways that we can respond is, yes, understanding that addiction is an issue and it's not criminalized. If we're doing that for opioid, why aren't we doing that for other illegal drugs? That's in the data. If uh, a illegal substance and, and its misuse is an addiction issue, then all illegal substances that are addiction issues should be treated the same. And they're not. So the office um, is positioned to be able to have that kind of conversation. Well, if we understand the system works this way here and it's working well, how do we then apply that to every other situation that is near identical to this one? Right. We're talking with uh, Kelly Wolford, uh, who is the director of the Office of Health Equity here in Erie County, and also Lisa Shamara, deputy Erie County executive. Um, coming down to our, our final minutes here, what about from your perspective, Lisa? Again, putting you on the spot here of, of being the administrator of sorts, but the, the confidence that you have that that there are solutions that, you know, because when we, we start getting into these issues, you know, whether it's teen mental health, drug addiction, drug overdose, you know, senior issues, they are mount, and it doesn't seem like it's like I just said, it doesn't seem like things are getting any better right now. What about it? What, what about your confidence in that and how you think things should move forward? I am extremely confident. And, and I, you know, when I started this position, um, I had a lot of conversations with the county executive, and my top priorities 
um, that were in alignment with what he wanted me to do were issues surrounding um, uh, opioids, um, being very responsive to what was in Live Well Erie, which was put on hold during the pandemic. So I think there is a great team. I think we have goals and community strategies. I think we are spending a lot of time on collecting meaningful data. So I'm extremely confident that now is the time to focus on these kinds of things. And we have the right people in the right spots doing great work. Um, we also have a great understanding of how important our community partnerships are whether it's in education, whether it's fighting the opioid crisis, um, whether it's dealing with uh, our emotional, social emotional issues. So I think that there are a lot of people at the table who understand what we need in Erie County, and I think we're ready to do that work. I'm going to say continue to do that work sure. because we mm -hmm. have always been really working on the issues. The pandemic gave us different issues that we needed to focus on immediately. So now we are ready to focus on issues um, post-pandemic that are critical in our community. I have, again, I'll put you in your kind of dual, dual experience here in county government, both as a legislator and an administrator. But is we're talking about community partners getting together, people on, trying to get people on the same page. There is politics, right? Any concerns that politics will get in the way of finding these solutions and really tackling these problems and creating the type of equity that we're talking about here? So we can't afford to let politics get in the way. <laughs> um, and I, I feel strongly that the legislature, um, and again, um, you know, Chair April Baskin really kind of brought this issue of health equity to to our legislature. Um, they've been supportive with our opioid action plan. They've been supportive with um, um, initiatives that we wanted to move forward to address um, certain issues in our community. So I do believe that there is a deep understanding of, of what we need to do to move forward. And I don't think politics is going to, to get in the way. What about resources? Are there enough? I, I'm going to tell you that um, our county executive has been um, extremely mindful of the resources needed to tackle the critical issues in our community. And um, the establishing the Office of Health Equity, having an advisory board, um, utilizing money for mental health initiatives, which I've, I've talked about briefly. Sure. Um, so I think the investment in our most critical needs um, has been supported by our county executive. And, um, and I do think, of course, of course we need more resources. We're going to be talking, um, I'm going to be attending uh, a press conference on Friday talking about federal funding to ensure that every child receives a school breakfast and a school lunch. Um, so, you know, we when we talk about resources, we need to talk about resources at the federal, the state, right. and the county level. Which brings so me it, back to my original thought about politics. Really a, but it it is a collaborative effort, sure. and we need to all get on board. I'm going to switch the gear here as we wind down with you, Kelly, in this sense. You've 
before the creation of the um, Office of Health Equity here in Erie County, you were you've been involved in these these uh, health slash social issues for quite some time. It's your experience. Mm-hmm. But since you got into the office here, and as time has moved forward, are there issues that you're now, or the depth of concern for you that have, that have grown about some of these health issues since, you know, in these months that, even since we last talked, what about that? Are, are there things that, boy, this is, this, if we weren't paying attention to this before, we better be paying attention to it soon. Because like you said, some of this data that we use is a couple of years old and we're mm-hmm. always lagging behind. So there's a certain fluidity that seems to be necessary here. Yeah. And I I think um, coming from community, uh, in air quote, you know, community that is not government. So um, yes. higher education and healthcare, hospital, community-based organizations, uh, we're close to the problem. And so I think the biggest um, hurdle in that regard has really been um, letting people know that are not close to the problem what the problems are. And it's of no fault to people that don't know. People are paid to do the job that they do and to know what they know. It's my job and my office's job to help them better understand how equity works, and to be honest, without even using the word equity, but uh, so that they can be more effective in what they do, whether it's government, whether it's you know C-suite, whether it's community-based or faith-based organizations. There hasn't been one standout topic, um, just uh, I think the question that people have is what can I do? How, okay, this makes sense, Kelly, but okay, what, what, what can I do? And I think articulating um, and explaining to people that no matter where they sit, they have an opportunity to affect change has been um, really my goal, um, whether it's human, ser- or, uh, human uh, resources and uh, redefining job descriptions so that we aren't requiring minimums that aren't required to do a job. Right, that doesn't sound like equity, but that a whole human resources division can focus on that. That mm. is not, on the surface, a health outcome, but it leads to better health outcomes because people that would not have been hireable before that are capable of doing the work now have a better paying job, now have a job without benefits, they don't need Medicaid, they don't need food stamps, or EBT assistance, and so we have to be able to look at it that way. Yes, it's a huge problem, but to be honest, you know, it wasn't so long ago that people thought women would never be able to vote. Like, how are we going to be able to tackle that? Hmm. Right now, it's commonplace. Like, why would women not be able to vote? We just have to be able to see, right, and and to take off the blinders and be able to see the whole picture. It's applicable and necessary, and people are capable of taking their own bite out of the situation um, and, and make that change. Well, I appreciate the uh, conversation here this morning. And Kelly Wolford, the director of the Office of Health Equity here in Erie County, Lisa Shamara, Deputy Erie County Executive. Thanks very much for joining us on Bubble What's Next. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be right back right after this on WBFO.
Not sure what you want to watch tonight? We've got you covered. Visit WNED.org slash TV schedule to see what's on WNED PBS, WNED Create, and WNED PBS Kids. Click the Primetime button to see what's on tonight. You can also search for your favorite programs in the search bar or look for programs by date and time. Visit WNED.org slash TV schedule and start making your viewing plans now. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. Back on Buffalo, what's next with Addison Henderson. And we're here at the uh, Villa Maria College inside their uh, auditorium here. And so I got a little bit of a, I, you did all my prep work for me in your Q&A. That yeah, was nice. So it's, it's, all, it's all good. It's all good. And I want to just touch on a couple of things that you mentioned. And the first one is kind of in your introduction, you, go, you called Buffalo the city of love. Yeah. Of course, now you're in uh, Los Angeles as a filmmaker. City of love. Tell me why Buffalo is the city of love. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you why the Buffalo to me is the uh, the city of love. Being from Buffalo, um, uh, Buffalo, I would say, growing up with the Underground Railroad, the Nash House, I occupied the Nash House and lived there with my family for uh, 15 years, almost 20 years. The, the church has been in me, been a part of me my whole life. So, so for me, having that history and being a part of that history, I say Buffalo has given me my soul. And now when I, when I look at Buffalo and I began my artistic career here in the city, um, and I would say Buffalo now, the city has given me my career uh, because they have supported me in such a way that, that, you know, that I can't turn my back and say, I'm just going to go to Hollywood and forget about my hometown because my hometown gave me everything that I am as a filmmaker. It gives me my soul. It gives me the, the, the architecture. But then the people here, they support me. Um, and some of those people are not here with us today. They have gone on. Uh, some of my friends, close friends, uh, my father, uh, J.J. Alfieri. But, but throughout all that, I have many people, many supporters here in the city, and I'm very thankful. And they love, they love what I do, and they've shown me so much love. So when I think about Buffalo, I think about the love that I have had in this city from the moment I've been a little kid until I've been coming back here over and over again. And that is the reason why I want to support this city in a way and always bring my movies back here and to have people come here and make movies, people that aren't from Buffalo, because I want to show off my city and I'm proud of my city. Uh, you can tell you're a director because you grabbed the microphone right away, right? <laughs> hey, I know. It's all, it's all good. And I, I go from that laughing thing to something you actually said up there is very serious and heartbreaking. Is also You said a life-changing event for you and kind of changed the trajectory of where you were going to move your life is uh, your best friend, you said, yeah. was killed in the east side of Buffalo. Tell me about your friend and tell me how that kind of pushed you forward. Yeah, uh, in 2001... Uh, my best friend in high school, uh, we were re all state wrestlers. Um, you know, we were actually going to move after high school. We were going to go be professional wrestlers and go down to uh, Florida and study uh, wrestling and become professional wrestlers. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and 
he was tragically slain. He wasn't somebody that was into the street or on the street. He was just a kid uh, getting his hair getting his hair done and sitting on the sitting on a on a porch watching a portable DVD player. You can buy portable DVD players now for twenty five cents. They have no value. And this is what he lost his life for, you know. And so for me, being a young kid, I was 19 at the time when he was slain. Um, I was, I was, it was a whirlwind for me because when you're that young and you're not, like, living a life of crime, you don't, you don't even know you can die. You're like, I'm living. You know, I'm, I'm invincible. And so I, when he was slain, for me, it set me on a path of I have to, I have to do what's on my heart. I have to live my life to the fullest and and I have to take all the chances all the positive chances I can to be something in this world and to really find myself and to find my voice and so and so for me it was like okay I'm gonna be a filmmaker so once I became that filmmaker it was only right for me to pay homage to his life that was lost and my father um you know after Jermaine was was tragically slain he put up a tree of life at the church and dedicated a tree um, at the Michigan Street Baptist Church that had grown and grown and grown to Jermaine Cross. And, and I'm thankful for that. I'm, th- I'm thankful for that love that my father showed my friend. Um, but, yeah, once he, once he was slain, it was time for me to go about living my dreams because I realized that at that moment that life is not promised to no one. Uh, let's maybe just talk a little bit about your Buffalo biography a little bit. Where'd you go to school? How would you grow it up? Yeah. How did you grow up? Tell us about, about yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'll give you a quick. Uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a Catholic schoolboy. Oh, me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I went to uh, I went to CHS for grammar school, and then I went to Turner Carroll High School. Oh, okay. You know, I, I thought I was going to be um, a big sports star, um, and you know, made all state wrestler was. Uh, I did I, I did good uh, with wrestling and football, running back. But I thought I was going to be a star. So uh, Turner Carroll was the school to go to back then for uh, sports. So went there. And then after that, went, went up to Alfred State College for a couple of years. Um, had a lot of fun. Partied a little <laughs> bit too much. Um, <laughs> left school. And then, um, you know, the unfortunate thing happened. And then I was down in HB Studios in New York City, down on Bank Street, studying with uh, Edward Morehouse and Austin Pendleton and those guys for a couple of years. And, you know, got the crap kicked out of me artistically to uh, to help grow my art. Um, and, you know, and I learned how to just kind of pull from the reserves of emotion that I had seen and all the stories and, you know, being in church sometimes and seeing the emotion that um, – that people have while when worshiping, you know, it's all, it's, it's all a part, a part of my, a part of me, you know, and I think for the most part, I've been an observer, you know, um, and then I was able to take those observations and kind of just use them um, towards my craft. Um, first of all, I'm going to make you promise me to come back and do a full hour when you come back in May, right? Yes. You're going to do that Absolutely. for me? Okay, makes yes. sense. All right, good. So we we'll, we can only talk about so many of your movies right now, and there, there are so many to talk about, including that, that project that you're talking about that's coming up here, the remake yeah. of The Birds. I mean, that sounds really cool. Yeah. But um, the experience, yeah. taking people back to Ghana. Tell me about that. Oh, man, the experience. What, what, a, what an experience it was. Um, uh, after I did The Forgotten City, um, 
and uh, Jamie Moses came to me. We had a screening with the art voice of the Forgotten City. And uh, Jamie Moses, thank God for Jamie Moses. Uh, you know, we've had some real tough battles, me and him, artistically. But I have to really be really thankful for Jamie because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have got this movie made. So he, uh, he said, Addison, what do you want to do next? We're sitting around having a beer and, and just kind of talking after the screening. And I said, well, I, I went to Ghana with my dad, and I want to go back there. But I want to take my dad back. I want to take Corey Green back as a, as a character. Um, I'm a character, kind of. Um, ha- I had a friend um, that I met from Kush, um, Kush B, who's a, who was a teacher. And he was in the Forgotten City. And um, he's this Indian dude that's, uh, you know, uh, that is... He's like, he went to Howard University. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so he's like really Afrocentric. And so he had a friend called Alex Giambra, who was basically a prince in his village. But now he's here in Buffalo. And so I met him and I said, I want to take these characters back on this journey. Back to Africa to not find a bloodline, right? But I wanted to use the atrocities of uh, slavery to, to take the whole route from the tip of Ghana down to the coast to f- talk to people, to see what their memory was of the slave trade. But it wasn't me just, like, finding out what the, the slave trade is, right? You know, it was about these characters experiencing all these emotions together and how does, how does it affect them and also who am I, where do I belong, and how am I going to affect the world? And I wanted to use Ghana the transatlantic slave trade as a backdrop to answer, to ask some big questions. And so I was able to, to do that. You know, I was just a 25-year-old kid trying to figure out things for myself. You know what I mean? And, and I was just using my own personal experiences and things that I've been through to, to, push, to push my project forward. And thank God, Jamie Moses, I said I want to do that. He said, come to the office in a couple of days. Went down to the office. Man. He booked all these tickets, you know, and it wasn't it wasn't cheap, you know. He booked a sprinter bus. He had the whole crew together, put all the crew together. People that I still work with to this day, people like Matt Quinn, um, you know what I mean. And it was a blessing that he was able to do that. And so, that was how we got it made. And that's how a lot of stuff happens with me in terms of artistic, you know. It's just people. We I have a conversation, like I'm talking to you, and we start talking about things. Uh, probably over a drink, and, and and next thing you know, we're making a project. <laughs> well, that's exciting for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, we're running out of time here, and I, I, this is a question I like to ask you at the end of longer interviews, but I want to see what you, because you can give us maybe a little bit of a more, uh, what do they call it, 10,000-foot perspective now that you're not necessarily from around here, but you look at life but maybe through a, a different lens to a certain extent. Buffalo, and you can kind of take a look at what's happened here in the last year. It happened at Tops on Jefferson Avenue. What does Buffalo need? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. What does Buffalo need? Uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of um, people blaming other people for things, um, too. And I see a I follow a lot of people around here in Buffalo, okay. um, and they talk about what the mayor needs to do, what this person needs to do. How did this happen with the winter storm and this and that? And I, and I get all these perspectives, and I'm not from here. I mean, I'm from here, but I don't live here on a right. daily basis, right. you know? 
So I'm, I'm kind of on the outskirts um, looking in um, because Buffalo is a town where people come together and help and all those stories that you heard of um, when the storm was happening and people taking care of people and looking out for people and tragically, you know, we, we, we lost lives tragically. Um, but people come together here. But what I think is lacking a lot of times is um, people talk on the side of what we're going to do and things happen. They, they show up for the photo op, but then after the couple of weeks die down, you wonder where's the, where's the action, right? Um, how, are, how are things being, being made better in this community? And so I think that it starts, you know, at the top, you know, like, you know, I know Governor Hochul is trying to do something here, but what are the intricacies of it? How much red tape is there? You know, because I talk to a lot of people, a lot of business people here in the city, and, and, and you know, they, they tell me things that are going on. And I'm not here to land blast anybody. I'm sure. not going to do that because I would be, it's not my place to do that. Gotcha. You know, but I, I feel like, you know, there has to be some sort of, like, flow right when people are trying to get things done when people are trying to do literacy programs on the on the on, in east buffalo and they can't get their project pushed through right wealth building things why you know why um and so for me you know i'm i'm in the process of possibly partnering with some with some um business developers here um, in the city of Buffalo to see how I can help, if I can help push the needle. You know, because as my star rises, I want to be able to come back to my city and do great things. That That is part of my destiny. That is part of what I have to do. That's why I'm here at Villa Maria right now. Right. Um, and that's why me and uh, Dr. Giordano became good friends, because he understood that I'm from Buffalo. I don't necessarily live in Buffalo, but I'm a part of the city, and there's great love. But I, I just want to see the projects for that can help people be able to get pushed through you know what i right. mean yeah. and i can't i don't and, I, and, and and for me i don't know every all the intricacies of everything right now um and i don't want to just be sound like i'm talking you know out of my armpits here but um but i but i know some of the things that i'm here so i just want to see things get pushed pushed through sometimes and like you know i want to see the east side continue to get built up you know what i mean there's a wealth of culture there. Like, I've been celebrating Juneteenth since I was a little kid. Juneteenth just became a national holiday. What the hell? Think about it. This, the Buffalo's culture, our history as black Americans, you know, like we, we, we know it here. And we've been celebrating it for a long time. So let's take the next step and not just celebrate it. Let's make it, let's, let's make it whole. Let's do something that some of our ancestors weren't able to do or were taken from us. Let's build it up. Educate, educate people and, and try to make some positive things happen. And I'm doing it for me from the art, you know, because expression it can keep you out of jail. I'll tell you that. Addison Henderson, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me.